Welcome to another episode of People with Passion for Pets. Today we are talking to Cody Will with Rattlesnake Ready. Cody uses his knowledge and passion for reptiles and his love for dogs to provide a much-needed service for dog owners here in the Sonoran Desert near Phoenix, Arizona. All right. Hi, Cody. Welcome. Hi. (laughs) So we're excited to have you on today. This is definitely um, something that um, I think anybody that lives in any type of desert environment should know about and research a little bit. Um, So you do rattlesnake and toad avoidance training for dogs. That's correct. That's really cool. How long have you been doing that? Uh, almost nine years now, the, the rattlesnake training is what we originally started and specialized in for years. Just within the past couple of years, we started up the, the toad training just surely out of you know demand and people asking for it. Um, so toad training a couple of years, snake training for going on nine now. Uh, so avoidance training means that a dog is actually trained to... Um, to know that scent or to know, to recognize that danger and then not go near it. Is that correct? Yeah. And so um, basically what we, we do with both our snake and toad avoidance training, and you know, we're teaching dogs to be safe in the desert by leaving these uh, animals alone. So, you know, pretty much all dogs have some level of prey drive, whether it's just a little curiosity or, or lots of prey drive toward any movement. Um, and so again, we want, we want to teach them, uh, you know, if you see one of these toads or, or you know, in a rattlesnake too, um, leave them alone. Don't go investigate um, because that's mm-hmm. going to end badly. And, um, and again, it could be potentially fatal. And so um, the actual training, which I'm assuming we'll, we'll talk more about here soon, um, you know, it's, there's multiple steps to it, but we basically teach the dog to not go after a toad. Don't, uh, you know, you see one hopping away, don't go chase after it. Um, just simply leave it alone. And ultimately that's what ends up keeping them safe. Yeah, it's really a good service. I mean, really, especially in Arizona, as you, as you know, you know, you, you're probably quite busy. Oh, yeah. When yeah. just out hiking, we see mm-hmm. them all the time. You know, we scoot them off the trail. Get off the trail. <laughs> yep. So I'm a little biased because it's my business. But um, yeah, definitely. It's it's a big need for it here. Lots of rattlesnakes, lots of dog owners who uh, yeah. like yeah. active with their dogs. So, you know, we've had a dog from a friend at a camping trip that got um bit by a rattlesnake and it's scary you know we were out there with our horses we were in the middle of nowhere we actually yeah. had to drape the dog over the horse and over my um, horse and over he just took it horse. Just fine. <laughs> but uh so yeah, you want to talk a little bit about that yeah um yeah you're you're definitely right it's really scary a uh, really traumatic event for the dog um, and also possibly life-threatening and so typically when a dog is bitten by a rattlesnake uh, you know the, the bite itself is painful as far as we know for a dog, you know, like bumping into something sharp or pointy, there's, you know, they have big fangs that inject the venom. So the bite itself in the exact moment it happens is a little painful. Then you got the venom that gets in there and, you know, anywhere from just a few minutes to 20, 30 minutes later, you know, they start swelling dramatically. And uh, yeah, it's uh, yeah, not a, not a fun experience for anybody. Uh, obviously, especially for the dog, expensive vet bill and uh, yeah. <laughs> A lot of chaos when a dog gets bit by a <laughs> So I noticed one thing that you did on your FAQs, which is really good knowledge, is that the uh, the thought is out there that little snakes, baby snakes, are more dangerous than the big snakes. And you mm-hmm. had a good explanation of that. Do you mind going over that again? 
Yeah, so that's a really, I don't know exactly where that started, but there is a very, very common myth that baby rattlesnakes are are more dangerous than an adult rattlesnake. And uh, unfortunately, it's even kind of infiltrated some like medical practices and, and, and you know, doctors might even treat bites differently uh, from a baby snake versus a big snake um, based off of that rumor. But the, the reality is, and there's some studies that if you do uh, research, you'll see that it's, it's been disproven or discredited and uh, yeah so what, what bottom line what it boils down to yes baby rattlesnakes and adult rattlesnakes have very potent venom it's still an emergency no matter which one you get bit by um, but uh, larger snakes simply have much larger venom glands uh, so if you were to not that anybody should do this but if you were to milk a baby rattlesnake versus an adult rattlesnake you know the the volume of venom that would come from a baby rattlesnake is i mean we're talking like a drop basically versus a larger mature rattlesnake much larger venom glands and you might get you know a significant significant amount more of venom and so that said if a larger snake was to dump all of its venom um, in one bite instance it would do a lot more damage than a baby rattlesnakes um, bite and i will say baby rattlesnakes can be a little snappier they're, they're new to the world they're not as conservative as the big ones because you know everything is out to get a baby rattlesnake whereas the mm. big guys might be kind of left to run a little bit a roadrunner can easily eat a baby rattlesnake not necessarily a, a four foot uh, and they're, they're born so. without the rattle right so they might not be yeah, able when they're, to warn their the warning device doesn't work as well. Um, so when they're first born, they have what's called a pre-button, which is just like this little nub. It doesn't make any um, sound or anything. Um, and then as they grow and shed, then they get added segments and then it can eventually start making noise. Usually about the third shed is when that starts making a little buzzing ah. sound and then it gets louder from there. Interesting. Yeah. So one of the things that I loved about your website, you talked about, um, because you obviously have to use real snakes during your rattlesnake avoidance training, and um, yeah. you you call them your employees. So I thought that was kind of neat. <laughs> yeah, I do it without it, right? <laughs> avoid the word pet for sure, just because it you know kind of insinuates a little fluffy critter you play fetch with and take on walks. And uh, while we have huge respect for them and take good care of them, I don't I don't use the word pet. <laughs> mm-hmm. But definitely employees, obviously, they're a huge integral part of uh, what you do. So you use real snakes and they're not defanged and they're not milked or anything. So there's no, no, I mean, they're still poisonous, but you do something so that the dog can't get hurt, I'm assuming. I'm hoping. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so... um... That's my biggest question is the, you know, how we're rendering them safe and whatnot. Uh, so yeah, they're muzzled so they can't bite. So we use a medical tape that's safe for skin that doesn't hurt them, that is, you know, applied in a way that uh, is humane. They can still see and breathe. They just can't get their mouth open to bite the dogs. And so um, we feel that's the best route to go for everything. So including the snakes, including the dogs and, and the people involved. Um, uh, yeah, so we don't, we don't milk them. They're, they're totally intact. We haven't, you know, surgically altered the snake whereby, you know, ripping fangs out or having venom glands taken out. Um, so they're just a, a normal rattlesnake who can't get their mouth open during training. They only wear the muzzle, you know, during the training. Um, and, and that's it, not before, you know, or after. Okay. So I have to ask who gets the, uh, the privilege of putting on the muzzle. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Honey. Yeah. That's a, a joke. I I can't get my wife to do it. So um, yeah, that would, that, that's me that does that. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah and the, the short answer as to how I do it is very, very carefully. 
Yeah, I bet. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So um, you so you have uh, quite a bit of snakes, and um, you use different types of snakes. Is there a reason for that? Do different snakes have different scents, or? Yeah, and so unfortunately, because you know pretty much all reptiles, you know, in the wild, they have to find the right species to to mate with, and and things like that, and so. Um, they do have, uh, as far as I know, different smells, and that is why we feel it is absolutely crucial to use real rattlesnakes uh, for the training. Um, and what, unfortunately for me, though, what that means is I have to use real rattlesnakes. You know, if, if they all smelled the same, I could use a non-venomous like gopher snake. It'd be a lot easier and safer for me. Um, but because we got to get the dog to learn that rattlesnake smell is bad, that rattling is bad and all those things. We got to use the real thing. And I think we, we don't just use real rattlesnakes, but we try to stick to the right kind that's found where we're training. And so when we go up to like you know, mountain areas like Prescott or Payson, which we do a few times a year, um, you know, there's Arizona black rattlesnakes, black tail rattlesnakes, and, you know, Mojave rattlesnakes that are found in, in some of those areas. Whereas down in Phoenix area, it's mostly maybe Mojave's, mostly diamondbacks. And so those are the varieties we're using down here and up there. Now, kind of what we've noticed is the different kind of rattlesnake we use, I don't think is absolutely crucial. They all pretty much sound the same. And I think there is overlap in the scent. Um, But the line between what's too different is the non-venomous snakes that have a different biology and and, uh, lifestyle and just the way they take down prey and stuff. Um, So go for snakes, king snakes and snakes like that. Um, We we don't use and and feel that we shouldn't because it wouldn't necessarily get the message across the, the way that it needs to be. So can you talk a little bit about the training? I know it's it's very well explained on your website, but just for our viewers, can you kind of go over it a little bit for us? Yeah, no, happy to. Yeah, and, and we do every every appointment. I pretty much everybody who has hired me to come out, you know, you're having some guy with some rattlesnakes come out to your house. So most people have done research before I get there, um, but I still just explain everything right up front again, right before we start, just so it's fresh on their mind and they can ask questions and um, but yeah, so a uh, four-step process, uh, it's extremely common sense lesson, luckily, uh, kind of survival-based. So dogs catch on really quick. It's one of the few dog trainings that you can actually do it in one lesson and they get it down really well and they retain it um, pretty much for, for life. And then I'll explain more about what we recommend doing after initial training. Um, but yeah, it works very effectively. Uh, so step one, uh, we use a uh, small rattlesnake. So the dogs during our training get to see a couple different sizes of rattlesnake. That's just so they kind of have vocabulary and are aware they do come in different sizes. So we start right off the bat with a little guy. And again, it's muzzled, so it can't bite. Uh, we typically place it somewhere, you know, relatively easy to see. So the dog gets a nice clear first look at it. And also that way when they approach it and we correct them using an e-collar and I'll explain that more in a second too. Um, they, because the snake is right there and there's nothing else around it and it's very visible, they make the right association right away. Um, so yeah, so the dog is wearing uh, e-collar, shot collar, whatever, you know, you want to call it. And so, um, and they're, you know, nowadays they make great ones that have like other features too, like vibrate and, um, tone and things like that for, we pretty much exclusively use the shock feature unless it's an extremely sensitive dog or, you know, there, there might be a reason we, we try a vibrate or something, but uh, the reason we don't just do that for every dog, though, is that most of the time it doesn't work. They need a little stimulus to kind of spook them and make them not like the snake. Um, but they're adjustable, so we start low. Uh, and as soon as the dog approaches the snake, which we let them, uh, as soon as they're within a, a few couple feet, maybe even a few inches, depending on how they're approaching it, 
Uh, we give them a perfectly timed correction um, and they basically blame the snake and back away almost immediately. So right. the nice thing is we, we kind of fool them into thinking the snake is where the little zap came from and they want almost nothing to do with it uh, right away. And so, um, so that's step one uh, after they're avoiding that snake and, and don't like it. Uh, then we move on to two supplementary steps to kind of build on that. And so I'll put a shed skin out somewhere in on the, you know, the, the person's property, or if it's where we're training, you know, somewhere in like a bush or a hole or something. And we basically orient the dog downwind of the, the shed rattlesnake skin. And a couple of things can happen there. If they got a good whiff of the real snake in that very first step, they often already know to avoid the skin, meaning they catch wind of it and they think, no, that's that same smell that just zapped me. So I'm not <laughs> going to that. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So there's some dogs that don't even need a correction on that step. They already know. Um, but also that's why we do it too, is it also fills in the gaps if they didn't get a good whiff of the real snake. Say they approached it really fast. They're running at it. That's where I have to stop them a little further back so they can't hurt they the snake. They don't hurt the snake either, right? Yeah, so um, that's where... If they didn't, for whatever reason, get a good whiff of it, they do approach the skin, sniff that, and as soon as they're you know right on that at the source, another carefully timed correction, which they then blame on that odor and back off, and in the skin itself too, I guess. But um, and that's kind of what that accomplishes is it gives them another opportunity to learn rattlesnake smell is bad. And you get some dogs that sniff the real snake and they sniff the skin. They're just you know high prey drive whatever, and <laughs> it's like double data now. It's more evidence that that smell is is bad, and there's a consistent negative feeling that comes with it if you're looking for it. Um, yeah, and then uh, so after that, we move on to sound. So I want to make sure the dogs understand to run from rattling. And so we have a, a great little speaker with a, a fantastic quality rattlesnake recording that we actually took mm -hmm. ourselves. And we essentially hide this um, speaker, you know, in a bush or behind the rock pile or, you know, something that's a pretty natural, you know, spot for a rattlesnake to hang out. And essentially we pass the, pass that spot with the dog. I play the loud rattlesnake recording, usually have the owner run away too, just to add to the drama of it. And uh, we, we teach the dog to run away from that sound. And so they get a little correction right when that sound occurs as well. And that's what creates a link between hearing that noise and then again, feeling something not fun. They've also probably heard some rattling from the first snake. So they already have a little bit of an idea and this just kind of hits it home even farther. Um, by that point, they're pretty much trained. The very last thing we then do is bring out an adult uh, rattlesnake. And that's, again, just so they got to see a couple different sizes during the training. This gives them a chance to see now a larger snake and uh, kind of gives them a chance to put everything back together again, too, because we had the real snake out. Then we did just smell, just sound. Now it's kind of everything again in one step. Uh, the big snakes we use typically rattle pretty good. They get to hear it. They get to see a larger one. And then, of course, they're able to smell it, too. Usually by that point, they want absolutely nothing to do with it. <laughs> We're done. Yeah. We're going home. Exactly. That's the beauty. You know, they do learn fast. <laughs> they do. Yeah. Especially things like this. And, and we get a lot of questions like, how do they learn it so quick? And I'm, I think the best analogy I've come up with is it's a lot like a little kid touching a hot stove yeah. or something. You, know, you usually yeah. only do that one time, never again. That same little kid might take weeks to take manner, teach manners. And that's the same thing for normal dog training with you know, yeah. certain you got to do a lot of repeated exercises and get them to catch sure. on what you want and things like that. This is kind of a common sense, like, Hey, snake bad. And they, they get it and they yeah. carry it with them a long time. Um, so one yeah. thing I, one thing I noticed when I was uh, looking at how you do it is uh, it really is a good way that you do it because when we train our dogs and our clients, we teach them about the sight, the smell and the sounds. Mm -hmm. And you actually cover every one of those things because 
dogs survive off of those senses. And when you hit every scent, not just one, not just a visual, but you covered the scent, the sound and the visual, you've got the bases covered. So it's really a good, a good way that you do it. And it's very professional. I mean, it's really good. Thank you. Yeah. And I, I agree. I mean, I think it, not only does it hit on all senses where we're trying to equip the dog for all different scenarios, because, you know, the reality is you don't know where the snake's going to be. It's going to be either crossing the path right in front of you. It might be coiled in a bush, you know, a few feet off the path that might show up right on your back porch, you know, but be hidden completely behind uh, patio furniture. You know, there's a lot of, we can't possibly prepare them for every scenario, but we can equip them to know that rattling is bad. The smell of rattlesnake is bad. Of course, the real thing. And so yeah, we want them to we want them to leave our training as equipped as possible. That's very good. How did you originally start it? I mean, how, what made you go into rattlesnake avoidance yeah. training? Yeah. <laughs> you were walking on the trail, and there was. <laughs> yeah, it's not. Uh, that's another common question I get too, for sure. Um, it's I didn't think I'd be doing this for a living, to be completely honest. Um, so what happened? I think I alluded to this earlier, but I, uh, I grew up in Northern California in a rural area. Uh, Part of the state that has a lot of rattlesnakes and um and so uh, i worked at a pet store all through high school and uh it's still there it's called the aquarium and pets it's in red bluff california and um, a customer came in asking about snake avoidance training and there were, i had never heard of it so i said that sounds fascinating i've never heard of it i'll look into it for you and see if i can find anybody that does it and uh, did some research, saw that there was, I mean, virtually nobody in the area offering it, at least not regularly. And so I kind of am an entrepreneur. And so I just jumped into like, all right, I can do this. And so, um, and th- there's more background to it than that I won't get into, mm-hmm. but we've got, we've got multiple exotic vets in the family. I love reptiles. I love dogs, pretty much all animals. So it wasn't like I just suddenly decided to pick up a snake and start training dogs. But there was <laughs> there was more to the backstory, but um, ultimately that's what started. It was this customer that came in and uh, just asking that question, got the wheels turning in my head. And, and that's, that's kind of where it all started. And I uh, went to school in California and as soon as I graduated, moved here and, and moved the business with me and have been doing it ever since. I think your, uh, your uh, Sonoran Desert Toad training is very interesting yeah. and I see that's kind of a recent one, but you know, I always try every monsoon season. I have a blog post that I put out to just inform people about it because especially with so many people that move here um from other states and they totally don't understand you know they may know about snakes but they have no idea about the toads you know you don't think of amphibians in the sonoran desert very much yeah yeah yeah, Yeah, definitely definitely and that's why we actually started it is we had so many people asking for that sort of thing because there was virtually nobody that offered it in the area uh, at least not consistently and regularly and so we that i mean we've only done snake training and just about two years ago we started that up to help meet that need as well and so we're talking about the Sonoran Desert Toad, which a lot of people may not know about it. Can you elaborate that a little bit about that? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, and I'll be honest, when uh, my wife and I first moved to Arizona, we didn't, didn't realize <laughs> there were toads here either. But um, no, so they're a, a big, kind of almost like bullfrog. They're, they're huge. They're, they're really big. They're kind of a green color uh, with a white belly. Uh, they're fairly abundant in Sonoran Desert. Uh, the reason you don't see them all the time, though, is they're they're pretty water dependent, as most of the amphibians in Arizona are. And so, the most commonly or most common uh, time of year that people encounter them is usually during monsoon season, and it's also usually at night. Um, so, 
they're not necessarily something that like hikers will run into left and right, kind of like rattlesnakes, um, but rather homeowners who live in an area that have a lot of these toads, you know, they might step out on their porch one evening after a good monsoon rain and there's one right there under their porch light grabbing bugs. And um, so they're, they're commonly encountered at certain times of year. And uh, unfortunately for, for dogs, they're extremely toxic. And so if, if a dog uh, goes up to uh, grab it, you know, play with it, or basically if they get it in their mouth at all, it can be harmful, if not even fatal, uh, if something isn't done quickly about it. And so they're, they're yeah, a big toxic toad that, that shows up after rains typically. So your website is um, rattlesnake ready.com and you're you're training all through the phoenix area so are you going to people for your training in-home lessons basically so we go right to people's backyards now there might be people who don't want to do that and so we we meet at you know a, a park or somewhere where there's some just some desert space that we can use um, uh, some vet offices uh, have either property or neighboring property they use and and so we kind of do a variety of things, but um, mostly what we do is go right to people's backyards. That's where a lot of people want the training because they live in an area that gets rattlesnakes. Um, and so that's what we currently do. We also will have our own on-site option available as well. And so uh, people who, again, for whatever reason, don't want it in their own yard or say they don't even necessarily have a yard. They just are worried about where their dog hikes and camps and things like that. You know, they they just want the training done in general. And so that's, again, we'll have an on-site option available just in the Cape Creek area, just north of Phoenix, I guess. And, um, but yeah, and we also, we do other parts of Arizona too. Um, Some areas off the 10 getting close to California and we do Prescott and Payson, as I I think I mentioned earlier, Uh, we go to those places as well um, a few times a year, but most of our time spent in the greater Phoenix area. Now, I know uh, snakes do hibernate in the wintertime, but um, that doesn't mean you don't want to um, like do training now, right? In, in fact, I'm assuming just with this beautiful weather, it's probably easier to train your dog now than it would be in the summer. Yeah, absolutely. So we do train year round. We have to obviously adapt to the, you know, the climate, the conditions of, you know, with the weather, just because um, you know, it's really hot in the summer and it's, it can be cold in the winter sometimes too. And so um, our hours aren't the same throughout the year. Um, but, uh, yeah, and you kind of nailed it when you said that about winter right now is actually perfect dog training weather, um, because the dogs, you know, aren't going to overheat and on a 60 degree day, whereas you bring them out on even a 90 degree day, let alone hundred or 110, uh, that's just not safe for them to be out, you know, and, and under mental stress and stuff. Right. And so, uh, in summer, we only train super early in the morning. We're usually starting around six thirty, seven o'clock, and we're usually done by about 10 o'clock or so. I mean, as soon as it starts sure. breaching 90 and into hundred, it's just not safe, um, in our opinion. And, uh, and not just because of the heat itself, but you know, our lesson isn't the most fun lesson. And so dogs are under a little bit of stress. We're spooking them. And so when you combine increased heart rate from running from a rattling sound with the heat, it's just not safe. Um, so yeah, we, we're limited in the summer, uh, spring and fall. Usually if things are pretty mild. We can go all day long. And then uh, winter, we can train pretty much all day long as well. Winter, things kind of switch from the safety of the dogs to more like the snakes. Like if it's wet and cold, well, a lot of dogs don't love that either, but um, the snakes can get sick in weather like that mm-hmm. and stuff. If we're taking them from heat to cold and wet back and forth. So that's not okay. But um, but yeah, uh, if it's, you know, sixties during the day, that's actually perfect weather. It's really easy for us to have portable heat for our snakes. So we can keep, we keep a few mm-hmm. snakes warm year round. And so, 
um, yeah, so they're they're active in the middle of January for us, just as if it was an August morning or something. And so uh, I think a lot of people, as soon as snakes aren't on the news or they don't really see as many of them on the trails, it starts kind of going off their radar. And one thing I, I want to mention too, and I think this is on the website as well, think about Arizona is we have such mild winters here. That's why people love being here in the winter. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's kind of why snakes do so well here too, is they don't, you know, in places like Montana or, Montana or New York, or, you know, outside of the city, obviously, but places where like timber rattlesnakes and prairie rattlesnakes live, they have to hibernate um, sometimes as early as September, things are getting really cold and they're going deep into a crevice or abandoned prairie dog town or something. And they're basically done for the winter. Here, though, you can see occasional rattlesnake in the middle of December, middle of January. Um, Vets here have treated bites every month of the year. Uh, It does happen because down here, it doesn't get cold enough for them to have to uh, be extreme about how they hibernate. It's actually might have a 70 degree stretch in the middle of December, and you might see one sitting outside of its den site. Um, You might see several sitting out of its den site, actually. Um, so it, it can happen. So the risk I want to just say isn't gone. It's, it's lower because they're not, they're definitely not near as active. Um, but the risk is still there and the weather's perfect for dog training. So yeah, yeah I wish people would do it uh, when it's cooler and not when it's a hundred, cause it's a lot nicer too <laughs> for everybody. Absolutely. It seems um, that uh, when we were out riding horses in the winter time, we would see them actually on the trail because the trail was packed down and it, it held the heat real well. Mm-hmm. So they would stretch out across the trail as you're riding the, the trail and you hope your horse sees them. And most of the time they would go, what is that? You know, but they would be right across the trail as you're walking. Yeah. 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 And then we've, we had, we had a call on Christmas day once for a lady who was panicking because she found a rattlesnake in her backyard. Uh, Thanksgiving tends to be a time people run into them too. I think it's because people are, you know, clearing off their patios, getting ready for an outdoor dinner on Thanksgiving. Oh, right. And surprise so, yeah, and, and that's that's something i saw too on your website you don't just do the avoidance training you also can like rattlesnake proof a yard and to do uh, some other services yeah, sort of so we actually um I, I do have a license to remove and relocate uh, nuisance reptiles so including rattlesnakes gila monsters any you know stuff like that uh, so occasionally, and the reason I actually have that is there's been times where during a snake avoidance appointment for, uh, for a dog, I've actually found a rattlesnake in that person's backyard while training the dog. Wow. <laughs> it's been a couple of times where I'm hiding that speaker in a bush for the sound step. And sure enough, there's a wild one. Right in there. Oh, wow. <laughs> pause and I have to catch it and re- and uh, I have an extra bucket in the car I keep for that reason. Um, so that's actually why I have the license. Now we actually don't necessarily do like the 24 seven snake removal and snake fencing. It's actually a, co- a company called Rattlesnake Solutions. They're pretty big in the Phoenix area. And that's what they do. So they do 24-7 snake removal and snake-proof backyards by installing um, snake fencing, basically. They do a fantastic job. And, uh, and, they, and they recommend us for training. And we send people their way for all the other rattlesnake services that we don't offer. And so, gotcha. yeah, it's, yeah, it's uh, they're on the website. But it's not, we're not the same company. They're, we're two different. Cool. At, at what point would you recommend somebody uh, would get their dog trained? Is there a certain age that is a good age to start with a dog? Fortunately, there's not a whole lot of criteria. Um, they don't have to have any prior training or anything. The only thing we do require is they be at least six months or older. Uh, and that's not necessarily like an arbitrary like number we chose. A lot of it has to do with puppy development and going through fear stages and stuff like that. We don't want to spook them at too young of an age just because there's that opens up the possibility of 
you know, helping them interpret the world uh, not in the right way, or, you know, it can have effects beyond just avoiding rattlesnakes. Mm -hmm. And so uh, that said, six months is about the cutoff. And then uh, on the other end of the spectrum, we can work with older dogs. We usually kind of leave that up to the dog owner uh, based off of what they feel their risk is. If it's an older dog that doesn't see, smell, or hear very well, it mostly goes <laughs> mostly goes right outside the potty and comes right back in. That's probably one that it wouldn't be worth scaring it with a rattlesnake. Honestly, I think the risk is actually pretty low because they're probably just going to miss the rattlesnake entirely unless, you know, freak accident where they did happen to step right where it was or something. It can still happen. So again, we're happy to work with them. Um, but usually those are ones that, uh, that we just, you know, it's probably not necessary. Now, if they're on the older side, but they still are sniffing bushes and their their nose and eyes and ears still work great, then they can absolutely benefit from the training. And we'll also get some that are, you know, totally deaf or totally blind. And um, whether they're older or young, uh, we can still work with those too. Because again, our training hits on all senses. So maybe they don't learn the rattling sound because they're deaf, but they can still pick up the odor of a rattlesnake and know to avoid that. And then they can still see one, obviously. And so that's where we can adjust the the program to the dog and and their handicaps or or um yeah or issues so yeah any dog any breed any age beyond six months is a candidate great yeah do you um do you do seminars where maybe a group of people gets you out and they get because i know you said you come to people's homes but yeah. do you also have a way you say where they sometimes have, and I know right now events aren't that big of a deal because of all yeah. the social distancing, but you know, where maybe somebody says, Hey, well, we're going to have this weekend dog event and we're going to have this, you know, workshop. And if you want, want to sign up, you can get your rattles, you know, dog rattlesnake proof or something. Yeah. So um, we do. The only thing about the training is we do this because we feel this is what's best for the dog. Uh, we train dogs one at a time, one-on-one, -on -one. Um, unless the owner has like two or three dogs and they're always together anyway, we can train those dogs together, but dogs tend to distract each other. And so that's where, <laughs> you know, if, if somebody shows up with their dog for training, it's just me, them and their dog. And that's it during the training. So what we do for the group thing is, you know, I try to, you know, I say that, but I always preface it with, it's not actually a group training. We don't have a bunch of dogs waiting around together uh, during our classes, uh, what we do is we spread them out. So I, I will go to like a vet office or like an HOA or something for a, a neighborhood might host one or like there's various places that will do it. Uh, vet offices are probably one of the big one. And then some private property owners who just tell all their neighbors, hey, we're going to host one at our, our ranch or whatever, and we'll do it there. Um, but we spread things out. So it's one dog at a time, one after another all day long in that same location. Um, it's still a private lesson, basically, no matter uh, where you do it, whether it's at our place uh, in your own backyard, it's it's just me, you, and your dog. You know, there might be a dog coming in as we're finishing up with one, but not into the training area. It's just pulling into the property sort of thing. Um, and we take that pretty seriously just so the dogs get the most out of it. It's not like this rush, chaotic with dogs everywhere sort of thing. It's it's very focused on each dog that's going through it. Um, okay. So, so for people to contact you, they would, uh, I'm assuming, go here to your website call you or book an appointment with you or yeah so that's uh, yeah the website rattlesnakeready.com has i mean we've we've put pretty much everything on there and so you can learn all about the step-by-step -step, the training the way it works there's a lot of other good info on there and then yes uh, email uh, phone call you can text that number as well whatever works <clears throat> best for you 
Um, my wife, Kate, she does all the, the scheduling and stuff. And so that's typically the person that you'll get a hold of. Uh, you're welcome to ask for me, but um, Kate typically handles everything behind the phone so that I can spend all my time training dogs. And I noticed what I would recommend, though, is, is uh, even if you're not in the Phoenix area, go to the website because the information on the website is is really good. It's it's uh, good information to learn about the rattlesnakes, even if you don't have rattlesnakes yeah. or, you know, if you're not sure, you, you can't get to your place. But it's a good informor- it's a good informative uh, website. It's well done. Mm-hmm. Yeah, thank you. Yeah. And actually, one thing I forget, too, most of the United States has some kind of rattlesnake that lives you know, there's a, with the exception of maybe a few, you know, northern, like Midwestern type states. But I mean, for the most part, um, there's there's some kind of rattlesnake found all over the country. But uh, yeah. Great. Yeah, I'm an avid hiker. So yeah, I can, I can definitely tell you all the rattlesnake encounters I've had with yeah. my dog. So it's good yeah. training. I, I think it's a must have if you if you're going to live here, yeah. And you're going to be an outdoor person or you're going to live in one of the, I mean, there's so many people here, you know, we live near the South Mountain area and people that uh, have yards that go against the mountain, obviously, it's not just for them when they go out and hike, it's like a daily activity in the right. backyard. Yep. So it's, it, mm-hmm. I think that's a must have. So, so glad to talk to you. Thank you for taking the time. All right. Well, thanks a lot, Cody. Nice meeting you. Glad you yeah. do. Nice meeting you guys too. Thanks for, thanks for reaching out to us. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. it. Thank you for joining us today on People with Passion for Pets. We're Jim and B. Walker, and we share the adventure of life with our dog Apollo and Heidi. For more adventure videos, check out our YouTube channel, Modern Canine Vlog, or visit our website, www.mcs.dog. And until next time, keep your paws on the road.